0: Good morning, church. Good morning. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. And when you have it, say amen. And today I'm going to uh, be preaching from Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. However, I would like to read in your hearing verses 1 through 9 so that we can get a better context. And it reads Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Amen. That is a reading of God's word. I would like to talk to you guys today uh, out of this word from the topic, hope in troubled times. Hope in troubled times. First, let me begin with a word of prayer, if you would. Dear Father God, I I thank you for this opportunity to expound your truths to your people. Father, we have come now to the apex of worship, which is the preaching of your word. Spirit, I pray that you would move and work as I proclaim your word. Father, I stand in need of you. I am but a man and Father I need your working of your Holy Spirit that you would proclaim the truth to your people open their hearts to be receptive to your truth Lord God and may you be glorified as your truth is proclaimed and as we receive it in our lives and as we walk in a manner worthy may you be glorified to those in this fallen world, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, today from the topic, Hope in Troubled Times. In preparing this text, I, I thought of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It reminded me of all of the, the, the sufferings and the persecutions that the saints of old went through. And then I, I began to consider the urgent words of the Apostle Paul in his last letter, in his last epistle. He wrote to Timothy and he, he told Timothy, he says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Paul goes on and he tells Timothy in verse 2, he says, he names some of the difficulties and the things that are going to be manifest. And he says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. But what really got me is, verse 5, he says, they have the appearance of godliness. Even though they deny the power, they have an appearance of godliness. Godliness. Paul goes on in that same chapter, 2 Timothy 3, in verse 12, and he tells us, Indeed, all who would desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Saints, that's a that's a scary, but it's a reality. And it's one that we must embrace. Because when we do not embrace this reality, when persecution comes, Sometimes we often fold. But this is the true reality that we are living in troubled times. That there are difficulties that we're going to face simply because we have been chosen by God. When we consider the the book of martyrs and, and what has happened within its pages and what's still prevalent around the world today amongst Christian brothers, I know it seems foreign to us as Westerners, as those who are Christians in the West. We don't, we're not used to the straightforward persecution that goes on in the pages of the Book of Martyrs that goes on around the world today. These types of persecutions often end in physical death and imprisonment and dismemberment. And lost the provisions simply for naming the name of Christ. And because we are so, this is so foreign to us. We often think of this as the only means of persecution. And we fail to see the manifestation of all the things that the apostle Paul warned Timothy about. concerning the difficult times. If we would but open our eyes, and as we step outside of the walls, we will recognize the sufferings and the grieving and the persecutions that that Paul has spoken about has reared its ugly head in America. This is no longer the Christian nation that our great great grandparents grew up in. What once seems foreign to us in the West is slowly becoming the norm no matter how great we think this country is it is not exempt from what our lord and savior jesus christ said to us in the gospel of john he says in this world you will have tribulations and american christianity is not exempt from those tribulations And as we look around, we can see clearly all of the manifestation of the attributes that Paul spoke of when he talks about the difficult times. We see children who are disobedient to their parents. There's no respect for our elders. Men are lovers of themselves. And all while doing this, they proclaim godliness. This in itself is a persecution against the church of God against the people of God. It reminds me of righteous Lot who was grieved and perplexed simply because of what was going on around him in the culture. It grieved him. It troubled him. But what do we do when we're grieved and we're troubled? Do we stick our heads in the sand? What do we do when, when the trouble now comes to our home? What do we do when the trouble comes to America, to the Western church? We see all these things happening in our youth and our young adults. But much of the persecution that we face thus far in Western Christianity have been done mostly legislatively. The persecution has come through the courts and the educational system and the media it is a reminder that friends we are living in troubled times but the question is what do we do how can we be encouraged where can we find our hope sadly many who profess to know Christ and who say that they love the Lord they have turned to politics for their hope they look to the next presidential candidate. They don't even look to the next senator or local person. They, they look, they look to the next president, and they turn their hopes to politics. If we can just get a Republican, or we can just get a Democrat, or we can just get a whatever, and we've turned our hope as people of God to politics. But I have news for you today: that hope will fail you every time. So many have turned away from, from, from the word of God in times of trouble and they've sought answers elsewhere. Sadly, many also have turned to therapy. I don't know if you know, it's a new trend. Every time you talk to someone, you know, yes, I'm in therapy now. Well, really, where do you fellowship? Oh, I go to First Baptist downtown. Oh, okay, so you meet with your elders and do counseling? He said, no, 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 I, 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 I go to a therapist. We've placed hope in the psychology and, and the, fit, in the, in the, I can't even think of the word, the, the, the philosophies of fallen men. We go in. We lay on their couches when God has given us faithful elders who have who have spent time in the Word of God to instruct us in the way of righteousness. Yet we've rejected it, and we found hope in therapy, while abandoning Christian counselors, and by abandoning the Word of God. We learn to cope with the troubles of life through worldly philosophies where Jesus is just uh, a choice that you can make, but whatever is best for you. The point is, is that we're living in troubled times and those of us that has named the name of Christian, whether we want to admit it or not, we're looking for hope and encouragement. And for so many, the church and the word of God is not enough. And it's a sad reality. But there are many who name the name of Christ, yet they're seeking hope and encouragement from many other sources. We see a watering down of the gospel. But as we look at this text today, we find the biblical remedy for where our hope comes from. Peter, he, he reaches out to these, these believers who are going through times of difficulty and persecution and he offers answers. He's offering them true encouragement. In this text, he answers us as to where we find our true hope. Peter, in this text, is encouraging Christians who are facing persecution and difficult times. Of sufferings. And he offers them hope. And my prayer today. Is that we will hear what the Lord would say. Today and that we will be encouraged. And we would find our hope. In the midst of these texts as well. As we read verse. If you go back to. Verse 1 and 2. I want to read that again. Peter begins this encouragement. Of giving hope to these Christians. He begins his letter with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter opens his letter with a greeting. And he does so by introducing us to himself. He tells us something about him. And when he does, it is very important that we understand who he is. Because listen, these people need hope. And just just a message from anyone won't do. And that's what we need to understand. A message from anyone will just won't do. So, Peter introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. When Peter introduces himself, he's speaking to his authority. He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been given the authority from on high to proclaim to you the truth. So, it speaks to his authority. And we need to understand who Peter was, especially in this day and time in the church. He was very influential in the early church. And this apostleship would have been a comfort to his readers. Especially this audience. Why? As we know, it's Paul that we usually think of when we think about the apostle to the Gentiles. It's usually Paul who is known for being the apostle to the Gentiles. But not only are these Christians suffering, but now Paul is in prison facing death. And these converts who have only heard the gospel through Paul, now they are being persecuted. See, we need to put ourselves in their shoes. Everything is falling apart. Paul is in prison. He's facing death. We're being persecuted, chased out of our land. All for a Christ that we have never seen face to face. This is the situation that these people are in. They are serving a Christ that they don't see. And if we don't believe that this is an issue, just look at verse 8. When Paul encourages them, he says, though you have not seen him, yet you love him. So now they've lost the only ambassador they know in Paul. They haven't seen Christ. They've lost their land. They're being persecuted. They're running from Nero. Their lives are in danger. And Peter writes to them and says, I speak in the name of the Lord. I am his apostle. This is what is encouraging them. And why am I saying this to you? Because just like in times of trouble, we need to go to the fount. We need to go to the authority that can help us, not just any counselor or any therapist. We need to go back to the apostolic teachings of the word of God. And so they received this letter from the apostle Peter. And Apostle Peter was well qualified, not only because of his apostleship, but when we consider all that Peter had been through, when we consider the life of Peter and his sufferings, we consider everything that Peter had been through, what else do we know about Peter? What else does the scripture tells us about Peter? It tells us that Peter was aware of the pressure of the crowds. It tells us that Peter was aware of the public sentiment. Peter was aware of, of pressures to reject Jesus. Remember, in fact, Peter had succumbed to it and he denied Christ three times. This is who this letter is coming from. Someone, when it got hot in the kitchen, he got out. He denied Christ three times. When trouble and persecution came, Peter has succumbed and he denied Christ. And he had seen Christ. But he's writing to a people who have never seen him face to face. And it's him who has been called to encourage them. Peter was also aware of the temptation to respond to sufferings and persecution with violence. When persecution arose against Christ and his sect and they met him in the garden, Peter didn't trust in what thus saith the Lord Peter drew his sword and he cut off a man's ear but what is most important about Peter Peter also understood what it was like to be forgiven by a resurrected Savior That's right. this is who is writing this letter and he is well qualified so I want us to hear the hope that he offers these saints Today, these saints in this text, and he also offers it to us today. He's qualified. He knows what it's like. He's been tempted. He failed. And now he is called upon by God to issue an encouragement and hope to people who are also going through suffering and persecution. So Peter introduces himself And as he began to encourage and offer hope to these persecuted Christians, he introduces his audience. And in doing so, he introduces his audience to themselves. This is vital. He introduces himself, and then as he introduces his audience, he introduces his audience to his audience. Let's read it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's the audience. To those who are elect exiles. Peter is introducing them to them. This is the beginning of his encouragement to them. See, see. so often when trouble time comes and persecution comes, you know what happened? We forget who we are. We forget not only who we are, but we forget whose we are. And we can act outside of our character and we can act outside of our nature. And we need to be reminded of who we are. Peter understood this. He denied Christ. He acted outside of his character and his nature. He drew a sword. He acted outside of his character and his nature. It took Jesus Christ to set him down. And to make sure he understood. Peter do you love me. It took Jesus Christ. To forgive him. Peter understood. Sometimes in difficulties. We forget who we are. And whose we are. And so his beginning of the encouragement. And the offer of hope to these persecuted Christians. Is to remind them. That they are the elect of God. And I'm here to remind you. I don't know what you're suffering personally. I don't know what you're going through in the difficulties. But I'm telling you and the church in America that persecution is coming. The question is, are we ready? And it's so easy for us to say, yeah, pastor, I'm ready. Remember who wrote this letter? (laughs) Jesus, I'll die with you. Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. (laughs) But when persecution came, he forgot who he was. And so I just want to encourage us and remind us that it is coming. And when it comes, don't forget who you are. So Peter opens up his greeting by reminding them of both who they are and whose they are. And in doing that, he identifies them, he says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania, I, I want to deal first and foremost with this term exiles. Peter reminded them that they are exiles. some of your Bibles may say pri- pilgrims or sojourners or aliens. He identifies them. As not only elect, but then he also reminds them that you're aliens. You you are aliens. Pilgrims, sojourners. When we look this word up, we see that this word alien, it speaks to those who live as temporary residents in a foreign land. Temporary residents. In a foreign land. The land is alien to them. And they are alien to it. When we think of this term. The best illustration I can give is imagine. You going to China. And you are living there. Your job sends you there. To live there for six months. You are an alien. There. You are dwelling there. But it's temporary. There's a home That you have to get back to. And after you're there a while. You begin to long for home. Peter was calling them. To look up. Peter was saying that you. Are an alien. When you're you're going through. What you're going through. You need to remember first. Your identity. Who you are. And whose you are. And then you need to understand. That whatever you're going through. Is temporary. He reminds them that that this place isn't your home. All of this suffering, all of this thing. Yes, you lost your land, but it's not your home. He tells them that they're alien. As an alien, if you go to China, you will encounter a different language. You will encounter different rules and you will encounter different values and different customs. And even a different dress. See, when you forget where you are, you begin to talk like an alien. You begin to dress like an alien. Remember what what Paul says? You profess godliness, but you deny the power. You still walk like an alien, talk like an alien. And he's reminding you part of the sufferings that you're going through is because you're dealing and acting like an alien. The Bible tells us touch not the unclean things, come out from among them. We suffer and grieve simply because not only are we aliens, but we suffer simply because we're elect. When we read the text concerning righteous Lot, it doesn't say that they were persecuting Lot. He said his soul was vexed simply because of what he saw around him was alien to the God that he served. And the more you grow in holiness, the more you're going to feel the persecution, the more you're going to feel the vexation, the more you're going to be grieved, the more you're going to feel out of place. But when all of these things are going on, where are you going to look for hope? Where are you going to look for encouragement? It's not on your job. Peter reminds them that they are aliens. Peter, in describing them as aliens and exiles, he uses this Jewish language. To describe them and he says your exiles of dispersion in Pontius Galatia Cappadocia and Bithynia but, but Peter is not speaking here about Jews he's not talking about the Jews but what he's talking about here is, is the true Israel and so he sees Christianity as the true Israel so he uses this language uh, he, he says you're 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 Exiles of the dispersion of all of these different places because Peter had now come to understand that the true Israel is going to be spread all over the world. And it's all right. Because none of this place on this earth is not your home. And you're going to suffer and you're going to have trials. But let me encourage you. Let me remind you whose you are and who you are and what is your purpose. So Peter is not speaking about Jews, but the true Israel. He's speaking in generalities to all Christians, all of us who have placed our faith in Christ. To be more specific here in this text, I, he's talking to Gentile believers. But it applies to all Believers, how do I know? Because he's just didn't call them exiles; he called them elect, and all who are elect are from all nations and all tribes. And so he reminds them there of who they are. Peter, in using this term, elect exiles, he's called them exiles. Now he called them elect exiles. He's actually describing what makes them exiles. Peter Peter now describes what makes them alien. What makes you an alien is not where you live. What makes them an alien is they have been chosen. They have been chosen by God. You can't serve God and think that this is your home. And so he's reminding them of who they are. And elect exiles describe what makes them alien or what makes them exiles. It's not their ethnicity, but the fact that they have been elected by God, chosen of God. And he's reminding them that now their citizenship is in heaven. These people had lost their land. These people have been chased out of their homeland. They have lost their jobs. They're in Turkey. Turkey in that time was a, was a mound of dirt. They couldn't grow crops. They couldn't do any. They couldn't barter. They couldn't trade. These people were truly suffering. And here Peter comes to offer encouragement. And the only encouragement that he gives them is that you are elect. That's great encouragement. But is it enough even for the people of God today? But Peter is saying that's the only hope you have. He's reminding them the only hope we have in troubled times is who we are in Christ. So it wasn't their ethnicity that made them alien. It was because their citizenship is now in heaven. In Philippians, Paul talks about this in Philippians 3.2. He says that their citizenship is in heaven as you await the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter is reminding his audience of who they are and whose they are. And he uses one of the most hated doctrines in Christianity. He uses one of the most hated doctrines in Christianity. He used the doctrine of election. That'll preach, huh? Peter uses, here these people are suffering, going through the worst, that they, the sufferings that we, we cannot even imagine. And Peter, here he comes talking about election. It's one of the most hated doctrines, and that is what he uses. You have those who are professing Christians that find the idea of a sovereign God repulsive. And and, and they were on my heart as I was as I was preparing this. If you find the idea of a sovereign God repulsive, where are you going to find hope in troubled times? Because not only did God elect them. He elected them and caused them to be exiles and every trouble that they're going through is by the hand of a sovereign God for his purpose and his glory. See, that's hard to embrace. When you're looking for hope in the troubled times and you blame the God that, that is sovereign, that has put you in this situation, where else will you go? and this is what Peter is trying to get them to see I know you're going through difficulties I, I know you're suffering I know Nero is on your tails I know he's lied on you say you started the fire I, I know and, and listen guys this is how I know persecution is coming every problem in America has been blamed on religion it's those pesky Christians that's hate speech they're causing division Jesus told, in the gospel, Jesus told the boys, he said, hey, listen, they're going to kill you and think that they're doing me a favor. It's so easy for us to just put that in the first century church and we can point to Stephen and we can point to that. But listen, guys, this thing, these things are happening in countries far away from us and it's foreign but the build up as we can see is here and and, and my my desire is to encourage us before it comes full fled to stand ready to gird up your loins to understand that when it comes i hope it's going to be in nothing less but jesus blood and righteousness Amen. but you gotta know who you are And Peter, in his encouragement, he uses this doctrine of election to to tell people, to remind them that, listen, you know why you can't help you? Because you didn't choose you. And you sure didn't choose your situation because if you could have chosen it, you wouldn't be in it. He says, I chose it and I chose you. Man, that right I can close right now. We can just we can just hope it I'm elected, praise God, whatever comes my way. He uses this doctrine of election to bring hope. And again, they're professing Christians, they find this idea of, of the sovereign God repulsive. And then you have those that, that, I, that we talked about a little bit earlier who, who embraces this doctrine theologically. They know it backwards. They know it forwards. They know everything about it. But they don't understand that this is that. That thing that you know is what's going to get you through the most difficult times of your life. It's not just for a head knowledge. So we have those that would embrace this doctrine theologically but they use it as a cudgel to beat people over the head with it. That's what I was saying I was going to talk about a little earlier. Man, when I first come into the the, 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 the truths of the doctrines of grace and I would run into people when I finished I felt like I needed to be saved. Saints is not to be used as a cudgel to beat people over the head with it. A lot of Christians they're saved. They don't even know how they say they've never listen. I was saved in 1994. I didn't hear about the doctrines of grace until 2000 what six somewhere around there. You can't tell me I was not save all this time, but they did. They did. If you don't understand it, then you don't. And I'm like, man. So they use it as a cudgel to, to beat people over the head, who, people who just don't understand and haven't yet come to embrace the, the truth of it. And they'll beat you over the head because they use it as an evangelism tool to unbelievers. I've been there because the ones that beat me over the head, they beat me so much. I was like, they the only reformed people I know. So I just hung around and took the beat. And so I, I, I would watch them as they witnessed the unbelievers. And they was like, we will not throw pearls before swine. You are a dog. And you are. And I would just be like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's a good ministry tool, I guess. Well, the reason you can't receive because you're not the elect of God. I was like, man. See, see this is how these things are sometimes used. They're using it because they reject. They're not rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting your approach to them. See, when you understand who you are and whose you are, and once you've been encouraged and you place your hope in the right place, Peter goes on to tell you how to conduct yourselves. And he says, stand firm to give an answer for the hope that you have. And he tells us how to do it. Peter gives them hope by using this doctrine of election. Then he don't tell them not go beat people up as the culture with it. He doesn't do that. When we embrace the doctrine of election properly and use it as it is intended, it brings hope to the elect. It's not just a doctrine for us to feel good about and to say that we know and we can quote it. Hey, have you ever heard of the doctrine of election? And and, and would you hear anything about the doctrines of grace? I mean, they're not even that bold. Say Calvinism. I bet you won't. I bet you won't. You, you, you know, I, I bet you won't say that and, and and you know, so they use these theological words. This is a beautiful truth. And as Peter sees his brothers being persecuted, God uses him by the Spirit of God. To go and to encourage them and to give them hope. And this is what is used. This beautiful truth. It's a family truth. It's an in-house truth. It brings relevance to those who have been forgiven much. Will love much. To much is given, much is required. See, when we understand what we have been given. We are dare not back down when trouble comes. Because we know whose we are. As this commercial, they say about four trucks built for tough. We were built for this. For this time and for this season. And some of the persecution that is coming, we need to be getting our kids ready for it. We need to be giving them this doctrines of truth. This beautiful truth of what God has done in Christ is our great hope in times of trouble. It makes so much sense, again, out of this scripture in Luke 12, 48, when it speaks of, you know, to much is given. He talks about to much is given because everything that we have is by grace and by the mercies of God. It speaks of great grace that we have been given, but it also speaks of our call to Stewardship. See, see, Peter is is reminding them of who they are, but he's also reminding them that you are accountable. You can't tuck your tail and run because of whose you are. And offering these troubled believers hope, Peter's calling them to action. He's calling them to action and he continues identifying his audience and reminding them of who they are in verse two. And he pick he's picking up on where he left off in verse one and he goes in depth elect according to God. The father Peter describes the very nature of their election. You have been chosen not because there is anything good in you. That's that's another lesson. When you when you are going through troubles times, don't look to yourself. Because there's nothing good in you. The reason that you are alien, the reason is not because of you. The reason you are alien is because you've been chosen by God. So Peter is telling them, he he, he goes to the very nature of their election. It is in accordance with the knowledge of the Father. Again, I want to reiterate the use of this language. This language of election. This language of exile, elect aliens, this language that Peter is using is intended to strengthen and encourage these people in the midst of their tribes. It's not just a name. He's, it's purposeful. You ever had some, you know, maybe a little girl or whatever, and she goes, Mommy, I'm, I think I'm ugly. You don't say Lisa. You say beautiful. You're made in the image of God. You remind, you're encouraging her from what is coming against her. Peter's just not, he's using language to encourage them, to give them hope. He says, oh, beautiful, elected child of God. Oh, do you remember who you are? He's encouraging them. And he's also calling them away from the infinity of the land in which they're in. Don't get so comfortable here that you're looking for hope in places where you shouldn't. Peter here reminds them and us that God has made a choice of them in spite of them. We need to understand that election is not a cause and an effect. It is not what you are doing. Because there's nothing good in any of us. God chose. It was because he chose. It was because he chose to have mercy upon us. So Peter continues on to describe the, the nature of election. He goes on and he says, not only did God foreknew and chose, he says, but in the sanctification of the spirit, he elected you in sanctification of the spirit. And it's so easy to stop there, but no, Paul, he, I mean, Peter, he goes on and he reminds them again, not only of who you are, whose you are. And because of who you are and whose you are, you have a responsibility because of what you have been given. You are now held accountable and I'm not holding you accountable to do anything because you cannot do anything. So I'm going to sanctify you by my spirit, but I've given you my spirit for obedience You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You're sanctified by the spirit. It is an ongoing working of the spirit. It's not something that has happened. It is something that has happened. It's something that is happening. And it's something that will continue to happen because you're going to forever need to obey God. It's not a perfect obedience as we will see because he goes on to talk about the sprinkling of the blood, which we're going to need because there's nothing good in us. But this is the hope that he's given them. He says that you have been foreknown by God, called in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. Again, he's calling them to action. We've been set apart by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit for obedience, even under pressure, even in the midst of persecution. It is not all right. To act outside of the character and nature of God simply because persecution and troubled times have come. Peter is going to encourage them and the rest of the chapter he's going to be going, because you are who you are, you're going to start seeing after verse 12. Therefore, 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 you're going to get a bunch of imperatives. Now that I reminded you who you are, roll up your sleeves and get to work. So I'm not coming to say, hey guys, persecution is coming. We need to look out and see that it's coming, and you know what? And yeah, you're the elect of God, and that's just no, no, no. You're the elect of God. You've been given the spirit, and you've been called to do something. We've been called to obey. We've been we've been given the spirit to obey. The call of the election of God is not the doctrine of election is not given so that we can just. Uh, be anti antinomians, just walk around and go, hey, I'm elect, so I get to do what I want, when I want, and you know what, yeah, I'm the elect, but no, I don't go to church, you know, I just, I believe I am the church. All of this, no, 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 no. this is not, that's not going to help you in times of trouble, saints. That's not going to help you in times of trouble. So Peter continues and he says, he says, he says, um, for the sanctification in the spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood. This, friend, is covenant language. In the midst of the struggles and hardships and the persecution, Peter doesn't come and offer them pie in the sky. He doesn't come and offer them his, their best life now. He comes and reminds them of who they are and whose they are. And reminds them of their responsibility in the earth realm. And remind them of the spirit that they have been given. And remind them that they are in covenant with the God who created the heavens and the earth. He reminds them of this. And this is where our hope lies. It's not just some doctrine that we know and that we say. When times come, we need to look to the God of our salvation. But it's more than just looking. It's also now following the God of our salvation. God, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. And see, that sounds deep and theological, and, and, and it's great. But what I'm saying is, when you start looking at the therefores, therefore submit to your wife, submit to your husbands. Therefore, children, obey your parents. Therefore, all of these things is how we show forth the excellencies of God. But when trouble comes, we don't get divorced. When trouble comes, we don't run away. When trouble comes, we don't do anything. No, we stand and we obey God in sufferings. He used this covenant language. He says the sprinkling with his blood. And that his blood there is Christ's blood. Guys, we have not been redeemed by the blood of bull and goats. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And his blood, it speaks of the efficaciousness of his blood. It cleanses you from The sins of past, the sins of present, and any sins that you will commit. So when you're going through troubled times and you're struggling and you're suffering, don't listen to the enemy telling you that you're not enough. There is grace for repentance. He's reminding us that we are covered in the blood. He uses covenant language. The first time we sort of see this is in Exodus when, they, when he makes this covenant with, with, on, on Sinai. And what does he do? He gives them his commands and they say, and we will obey. And then he sprinkles them with the blood. And then the second time we see it when he's consecrating the priests. And this is why Paul tells them that, hey, listen, you are a priest, You are a royal nation. You are a royal priesthood. The beautiful thing here, guys, is that when we remember who we are and whose we are, it gives us hope. (laughs) And the enemy will come and tell us to look outside of those things. The enemy will, will, will tell us that we need something else, and we don't. All we need is the mercies of God. I want to close with this, Paul's last statement. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time." Then Paul says, In this rejoice. Though for now, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Paul he, he goes on to now, after he he reminds them who he is, he breaks out in this doxology of praise. He now begins to praise God the Father, and he tells them what their election looks like. He praises God and he says, this is what it means that you're elect. This is how you have been elect. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, he breaks this that Our election is according to the Father. Our election is according to the Son. And our election is according to the Spirit. Here we have the triune Godhead empowering us to be all that he has called us to be. Amen. The doctrine of the Trinity is is at play right here and we just throw it around. Well, it doesn't mean, no, these doctrines is what gets us through troubled times. These doctrines are what we grab a hold of when we are looking to the God of our salvation. Peter breaks out in praise. Peter breaks out in praise and he gives this doxology and notice that his praise is rooted and grounded in the mercies of God. Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord according to his great mercy. See, when we're going through troubles and persecution comes, guys, we need to be dependent upon the mercies of God because that's all we have. See, When we think that we had anything to do with our salvation, we would think that we have something to do with keeping ourselves. And when trouble comes, we're going to look within instead of looking up to to the cross, instead of looking to the mercies of God in Christ Jesus. I've gotten through so much just remembering what I was. And I know for a fact that everything I am, it has nothing to do with me. Left to myself, I would be a mess. My hope is not in me. My hope is not in America. My hope is not in Donald Trump. My hope is not in Joe Biden. My hope is not in my wife. My hope is not in my kids. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus. And when Peter is sent to bring hope to a persecuted people he reminds them simply of that. There's part of me wish I had something else to tell you. There's part of me that just want to be able to tell you how to do the two step and the three step but this is not what he gave. He gave This beautiful doctrine to remind them of who they are, whose they are, and who has called them. And he points them to the mercy of God. And he leads by example. He says, in the midst of what you're going through, praise God for what he has done. Spurgeon says this. I'm a Spurgeon fan, by the way. No other attribute could have helped us had mercy been refused. As we are by nature, justice condemns. Holiness frowns upon us. Power crushes us. Truth confirms the threatening of the law and wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of God that all our hopes begin. When trials come, we need to turn to the mercy of God. Remember what he has done in Christ. And then he tells us that not only according to his great mercy, his mercy is what caused you to be elect. It was nothing in you. And not only that, it caused you to be elect and it gave you a living hope. See, our hope is not like the world. Our hope is a living hope. Our hope is not in the blood and bull and goats. Our hope is a living hope. And we get that living hope through a resurrected Savior. Amen. Guys, he lives. He sits at the right hand. And he lives to intercede on your behalf. I love Pastor Waters. And when I was going through something, him and the elders and the brothers, man, they came around. I was like, man, that's great. And you know what? That's great that he prayed for me. He may have even told the church to pray for me. He may put me in the bulletin. But guess what? Jesus prays for me. I don't know what you're dealing with, and I don't know trouble is going to come one day. It may be next year. It may be next month. It may be whatever. But whatever you're going through, your only hope is to look back upon the mercies of God in Christ Jesus. He is a living hope. He lives. He intercedes on your behalf. And what he has for you, he tells us it is imperishable and it is guarded through faith. Listen, not through your faith, through the faith. Peter goes on in second, Peter, he says the, the faith like ours it is faith in the gospel, not faith in faith. Remember, Peter had faith. You know, I have faith. I will not do this. That will never last. It is faith in the finished work of God. If the faith in the finished work of Christ, it is faith in what Christ has done. It's an abiding faith to know that Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And that faith, it will not be removed. Like Job, though he he slay me, I will praise him. I don't care who tries to get you off of it. You know, we always talk about, you know, Job's wife. But it's usually not our wives. It's usually somebody else that try to tell us, man, that Christianity is good, but what you need. That Christianity is good, but what you need. But Peter says, no, this is what we need. Amen. Guys, I just wanted to encourage you today to a living hope. I, I want to remind you that th- though there are many pretty things that, that can be said and 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 you know, but but Peter doesn't do that. All Peter does is remind them of who they are, whose they are, and what they've been called to. This doesn't let us off the hook. We have accountability and responsibility. And Peter goes on and he, he tells them that and listen when we reject this doctrine of election. When we think that we have something to do, when trouble comes, we will do it. And so in this first book of Peter that he wrote to this church, he wrote to warn them of all of the outside pressures that is coming against them. But in chapter two, he writes and warns them of the inside pressures. And the inside pressures come from men who think that they have a better way and they begin to preach a watered-down gospel and a false gospel and a different gospel and abandoning the master that has purchased them. This is why it's important that we go back to this simplicity. I get passionate, I get whatever, and I get all those things, but I can't say no more than what it says. I want to, not not I want to, but I I wish, you know what I'm saying. So guys, as the elect, this is where our hope lies, in Christ. And it's atoning work for us. Again, there is nothing new under the sun. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Remind yourself, remember Ephesians 2, what you were and what he has done. Take time to read through the rest of 1 Peter. Because don't think it's some deep theological you know I mean I hate using that because I love deep theological stuff but my point is the simple things be holy obey your parents respect your elders submit to your your husband wives these are all of the things that shows forth the excellencies of our God amen Amen. and if you are in here today and you don't know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I invite you to get to know him. I call you to repent. I I call you to cry out to him. And then when trouble comes, one day you too can break out in praise and say, blessed be the God of our Father. May God bless you, and I pray that the sermon was a blessing to you.